A company called Trust has figured out a way to expand access to mental health care just when the world needs it the most. The scary reality is that things have already been getting so much worse before this even hit. For instance, our guests today tell me that 80% of college-age students feel the effects of stress on a daily basis, and unfortunately, only 7% of their parents are aware of the challenges their own kids are having. And I can add, just anecdotally, from my own experience and from what I've heard from friends, that finding a therapist, or especially a psychiatrist, is really difficult because the demand is so high and the supply is so low. There just aren't enough people out there to help. But in this episode, I talk with Bill Hudenko, adjunct assistant professor of psychiatry at Dartmouth Geisel School of Medicine and the founder and CEO of Trust, that's T R U S S T, as well as Zoe Snow, the product manager at Trust. They are not just working on a better way, but have actually gotten it out there in the world and are now providing a new mental health care experience and solution to thousands. Before we jump into the conversation with Bill and Zoe, there's something critical here that I feel needs to be said more often and more loudly as we struggle with COVID. I believe and fear that the toll this virus will take on our collective mental health will really be substantial. We are right to be focused on the immediate physical dangers of this virus, as well as this collapsing economy. And we need to understand to be generating solutions to counteract the harm that's being done to our emotional lives and our psychological well-being. I'd like to devote a good number of episodes to mental health care because, of course, When we are in mental distress, learning is substantially impeded. This is why I'm so excited to talk to our guests today. So here's the interview. Bill Hudenko and Zoe Snow, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. So Trust is a technology company in the field of mental health. And for many people, though, it's hard to picture how technology can fit into mental health care. Setting aside your response to COVID-19 for just a moment, how would you describe what trust is and what problem it solves? So um, trust is a messaging-based mental health intervention service. And we offer a network of therapists, either for individuals who can download our app and connect instantly with the therapist across about, I think we're in about 27 states now. Um, or we can offer uh, our platform, for, as in our technology, or our therapist to, to companies or colleges. So we're fairly flexible in who we might provide the service for. And I think what's special about Trust is that we have found a way to provide very cost-effective and um, broad access to mental health services to to many different people. And it's all based on the science of messaging and what we know is very helpful for people. And and that's really our expertise is how we look at uh, doing mental health intervention differently in a way that solves some really big problems that have plagued the field for so many years. 
So I think it'll be easy for anybody who hasn't seen your product to understand the, the connection with the therapist, um, perhaps even what a platform might look like to make that connection. But the messaging-based piece, I'd like to pause there for a second. Say I'm a say I've just signed up to use your product and I have met a therapist who I think is the, the best match for me. What does the messaging based piece look like? What it would be the first thing that I would do and see? How would I interact through text messages? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing I'll tell you is, is this model of intervention is, is relatively new in our field. If you think about psychotherapy, psychotherapy is really a science of language in many ways. It's the idea that the work we do is about using the right words at the right time with the right person. And while there are many associated parts to it, such as maybe your facial expression or the tone of your voice that we do use to help someone, at its essence, it is an art of language. And that language is compelling and can unlock parts of our mind if we do it in the right way. So what we've done with messaging-based intervention is we've learned a tremendous amount over the past 10 years about the actual language that really helps people to get better. And so if you're a newcomer into our service, the first thing that we ask you is, how can I help you? What, what are you here to seek help with? You'll then give us a description of what it is that you're struggling with. And then the therapist will use adaptations of what we do every day, meeting with people in person, to then work with you and help uncover more of the problem and then ultimately move towards solutions based on tried and true methods that we've developed for so many years in the field. So I'm picturing at the same time here my mother and my, my daughter my mother, uh, I, I would imagine it would be hard for her to get her mind around using technology in this way, whereas my daughter, uh, I think that she would probably prefer um, <laughs> prefer this uh, sometimes to being in front of people. Um, she's a teenager, spends a lot of time mm -hmm. in her room with the door closed. So I'm, I'm interested uh, that, you know, before COVID-19 happened, where generally were you seeing the interest in your product coming from? Did it match yeah. up that way, mostly with younger people? Yeah, it's a great question uh, because I think that there's actually very broad applicability to older populations. In fact, even elderly populations, I think there's good reasons to suggest that this could be a good match. However, I agree that generally a younger population is, are, are what I'd call text natives. They're just, mm. this is how they've grown up. It's a natural part of communication for them. And so I think the adoption of this idea is an easier sell for them than it is for older people who, once they try it, really enjoy it and, and get benefit from it. Um, this also, though, I think leads a little bit to the origin of our company, which came about from some research that we were doing into messaging-based intervention. So one of the things that, our, that kind of makes our company special is that we are based on the science of messaging, unlike some of the other competitors out there. And a lot of our earliest work was doing a, a, a randomized controlled trial 
looking at messaging for people who had serious mental illness. And what we found from that study, in short, was that we saw a, a, a very compelling improvement in things like anxiety and depression and even psychosis when using a messaging-only approach, which really led us to believe this might be part of the answer to solving some of the big questions of cost and access to care in mental health care. And while that was actually a population of, of middle age or older adults, what instantly we found out was that the, the population that just took to it like a fish to water was actually college age students. And I'm actually going to pass this over a little bit to Zoe right now because Zoe is, is somebody who I first met um, because she was doing research with me on this very study I just mentioned. And I, I'll, I'll pass it to her because I think she'll give a good um, understanding of, of how it solves a lot of needs for college students. Yeah, so thanks, Bill. Um, so as Bill said, what we found in the study was that anxiety and depression were especially good targets when trying to figure out how to best use messaging-based therapy. And when you look at college students who are grappling with mental health, um, the largest uh, incidence of mental health issues is in depression and anxiety. For example, 80% actually of students report that they feel stressed on a daily basis. Um, and 75% of students who suffer from depression don't seek help. So there's this interesting intersection between a lot of students feeling stressed out, overworked, but also not knowing where to go or not feeling ready to take that step. Um, at the clinical level at these colleges and universities, you see that these clinicians at the school are really pushing the boundaries of what they can take on from a capacity lens. Um, they are simply finding that We've talked to some clinical directors at a few universities who found that the number of students coming to see them have doubled over the last five years. And I think it's a combination of individuals being more open to talking about mental health, but also um, just trying to push this narrative around um conversation and encouraging people to speak up. At the same time, there's still this... Um, large population of college students that don't feel comfortable taking that step. Um, on top of that, I think there's also the mismatch between what parents see as the problem with their student with their student in college. Um, a lot of parents don't realize that their student might be struggling with some sort of mental health issue. Um, in fact, the National Alliance on Mental Health Illness has done some research into it and found that only 7% of parents report that their student suffers from mental health issues in college, even though we know it's about one in four. Um, so given these things, we, we thought that there could be a really great opportunity to better support these students um, who aren't ready to go and see their school counselor or perhaps don't um, have the ability to do so or the school doesn't have the ability to take them on, um, but still want to find a resource to make them feel better. And in the middle of what you're describing, it sounds like, I mean, really an epidemic 
in mental health. If we have a doubling in the last five years of depression and anxiety, that is a that's a that's an astonishing uh, statistic. So this is pre COVID nineteen. <laughs> this is before things changed. So you know, right around March thirteenth, schools started to close. Students had to leave their dorm rooms had to leave their friends, had to leave their, their new communities or the communities perhaps they'd even been in for a few years, gone home, sports ended, workers were sent home, right? Life just changed. And getting together suddenly uh, was really dangerous, is really dangerous. And, and I, I can only imagine that the overall need for therapy has just continued to spike. It really seems like a moment where more people might have started looking for a solution like yours for, for trust. So how did COVID change things for you and for the people and the organizations that you serve? Yeah, it, it has been a, a remarkable shift and mm -hmm. we are every day just trying to sprint to keep up with the demand and to, to meet that need right now. I think trust is in a very unique and, and important place to be able to solve some of these problems because one of the things that we see as, as a huge change is, is even the idea that somebody who may have been routinely meeting with their psychotherapist in person is now at home. And what is available is potentially a, a Zoom session or a you know, remote uh, connection with that therapist. But given life circumstances, when you have thin walls and you have, you know, family members who you're talking about in your session, it, it even that becomes very difficult. So with trust, where we provide this capability for someone to message whenever they need to, which doesn't just mean, you know, a, a scheduled session, it affords a whole new way of feeling connected that we think is very important. And furthermore, because our model allows for five days of intervention every week, um, it's just so much more support and connection in small bits instead of having these, these longer sessions that are even more hard to accommodate right now. And as things have changed for you, what have the challenges been as you've responded to, to this uh, this really giant change in a very short amount of time. Well, one of the, the big things that's shifted is that we, we really are spending a lot of time trying to help uh, colleges and also trying to help some businesses to meet the need of students and employees, respectively. And despite the fact that I believe our solution is a, is a really great match with their needs, because of the chaos that has ensued with with organizations trying to respond to what's happened at COVID, it's been very challenging to get the time and attention to even give them our solution. And it, it's also a, a difficult time, I think, for any business because all, all businesses are trying to stay afloat and maintain revenue and so on. And yet we also are not wanting to push our products and to, you know, to, uh, use this as a as an opportunity when obviously people are struggling so it's it's about finding i think that tenuous balance between 
very real and significant opportunity, very real shift in people's willingness to try a new solution, but still being very compassionate and respectful of where people are right now and delivering that opportunity to them. But in the middle of doing all that and threading that needle, what um, what has you know what have your successes been? I mean, what as things have changed, where have you found success? Well, one of the things that we found right away was that our solution was a really great one for college counseling centers. So the reason for that is that the college counseling centers are still trying to service students right now remotely. They, prior to COVID, were already having a very difficult time with demand and providing enough healthcare services to the students. And now, because of things like the privacy concerns I mentioned, they're having an even more difficult time effectively reaching and helping those students in states across the country. So what we've been doing is using this opportunity to try to give them access to our platform so that it significantly improves their ability to uh, see and work with so many more students and to do it more effectively in a way that they uh, really works well with students. So We've had some great successes. For example, we just had a, a large implementation at the University of Washington where the entire student population, I think it's about 30,000 students, now have access to the Trust platform. Uh, we've also had some great successes with companies that are, are progressive in this way and wanting to support their employees through this period. So another example would be that we just uh, signed a partnership with King Arthur Flower. So where we service all of their employees and provide them with that extra support through messaging. So we've been working hard uh, to make those alliances and to provide a service. And I think it's been a, a great time of success with making those connections. I would, I would also add there, too, that um, I think there is a big population of therapists and clinicians that have been intrigued by remote therapy and messaging-based therapy, but haven't really had the chance or opportunity to make that leap and really try it out for the first time. And I think another success as a result of COVID-19 has been um, an increase in interest in joining and partnering with us um, to provide this resource to clients or find new clients and try to augment the way that they can support their communities. Well, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here to say that um, if what you're doing was a little before its time, then I, I think that time has come in what you've just described. Now, on this podcast, I'm really interested in the moments where we recognize that things have changed because of this pandemic, and then how we react with ingenuity, with all of the great things that we have in the human spirit. And my question for you really is, an, is kind of a two-part question. I, I wonder if you might talk about a moment where you did something to change to meet the new needs that you were seeing. And then another moment where you saw other people recognize that things had changed and maybe saw trust differently than they might have before. Sure. You want to you start in that one, Zoe? Yeah, sure. So... 
I think, I mean, the COVID-19 has triggered so many uh, shifts in my daily work and the way that trust uh, interacts that it's sometimes it's hard to choose. But one that stands out for me is um, going back to what Bill just brought up about connecting with the University of Washington to provide their school the trust resource at a time when they need to figure out the best way to connect with students who are no longer able to meet in person. Um, so part of, part of the trust platform is providing a training to clinicians. Um, I think when we talk with therapists about joining trust, there's a few barriers to um, saying yes. So one is a feeling of just being nervous about trying it out. What is trust? What is messaging-based therapy? How do I get involved? Um, another, naturally, is questions about confidentiality and HIPAA compliance. Um, and the third, I would say, is really a lack of resources and training material in the greater community on how to get up to speed with best practices around remote therapy. Um, and something that we've taken away from our therapists thus far is a real value in what we are providing in this training. Uh, that being said, when we led the training for the first time with the University of Washington, um, it was a pretty incredible moment for me in that uh, we tried to better understand what the quantitative outcomes of our training were. Um, in this way, we, we gathered survey results in the beginning and at the end of the training um, and included some quotes too on what did you find was effective? Are you feeling better about messaging-based therapy now that um, you've gone through this training? And what we found was that there was a 51% increase in the confidence of these therapists and the ability to use messaging-based therapy as a result of our training. Um, and beyond that, a 24% increase in the perceived efficacy of messaging-based therapy. To see these uh, stats come out um, amongst the group of clinicians that we trained, along with a variety of feedback quotes, um, applauding Bill's training methodology was really exciting for me and made me think that this is a niche that really needs attending to. People need to know that they're doing the best they can in providing the care during this really pivotal moment in time. And it's an exciting opportunity to offer that training and those resources to these therapists. And, and, and I'll follow up with that just by saying uh, a word about my moment in, in this, which was, I think it, it was really around a time when we were meeting as a team and we were talking about um, how, do, how do we respond to COVID and how, how will we change and, and what, what, is, what is different for us now that this event has happened and is changing so rapidly. And there were a lot of ways that we saw that we might provide value to organizations or individuals. And I think we came to the conclusion that, that one of our areas of greatest strength was in, was in younger people at, at present, maybe 18 to 30, and that college campuses in particular were 
um, in need of, of different types of services for all the students who had gone home. And I think t together collectively we said, you know, we just need to give this for free to college campuses and give the college counselors a new set of tools to help during this particular time. And, you know, for any business, it's a tough decision to give something away for free <laughs> because you're, you need to stay afloat. But for us, I think it was, it just felt right. It felt like this is the right thing to do at this particular time. And if people love it and they want to use it and it, it really is a value add to what they do, then hopefully they'll want to continue. But for now, we have an opportunity because of what's happening to change so many lives and to impact people in a way that might uh, really help them during a, a very challenging period. So to me, that was a real pivotal moment in our company that I think aligned very well with the changing landscape of COVID. So you've been through a lot of change. And in your process of changing in the ways that you have and seeing the changes that you've seen in the world, what, do you, what are some things that you've learned uh, either in your business or personally in this process that other people can take from your solution, people who are creating a product or a, a solution or just trying to find a new way in their lives? What's something that is an insight that you have that, that might be helpful to other people? Well, I guess for me, um, honestly, it's it's been a bonding experience, which is funny, but um, I think despite the distance <laughs> by which we are separated these days, I think I've never felt um, so passionate about a project and I think a lot of that I get from working with Bill and working with another member of our team, Dave, every day and our developers and just feeling like there's power behind what we're working on. Um, and I think that identifying that project that makes you feel propelled forward and optimistic about the future has been pivotal in making this a learning and growth oriented part of my life, despite the disruption globally. I'm glad you feel that way. Zoe and I echo the sentiment. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the other thing I, I would add to that from, from my perspective is I, I feel like one of the things that I've really learned from this experience so far is just about the the power of of connection and what ways we can creatively find to fill the gaps when we're all feeling isolated in this in this new world that we live right in right now and i i think that this is part of what excites me about what we do is is the idea that there are other ways there's other other ways of connecting with people that are also very powerful and impactful like we've been trying to build through trust and that it is just such an important and critical part of of the infrastructure of humanity and 
that through this process, any other company, organization, et cetera, that, that doesn't really remember and focus on the idea of the importance and the power of that connection is likely going to be missing something. Creativity to fill in the gaps. That is, uh, that's wonderful. And I think that seems like about as universally applicable as we can get. And I, I just want to thank you both for joining me today. Bill, Zoe, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining the podcast. Thank you. So thank much. you, Jason. Thanks for listening to our show. I want to thank again Bill Hudenko and Zoe Snow for joining us. My name is Jason Gorman. I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of Jackrabbit Learning Experience. If you have an idea for an episode, want to give feedback or anything else, send me a note at imperfectmap at jackrabbitlx.com. I'm planning to release these about once a week. So until then, stay safe and keep up that ingenuity.